morning. Congratulations, graduates. Proud of you. Um, yeah, we just think uh, the world of you and can only imagine and can't wait to see all that God does with you. Maybe it is a good morning to talk about honoring your father and mother. Um, the perspective that um, has um, really that God has put in my heart and mind through the study of this particular wisdom is that honoring the father and the mother is a lifelong thing. Um, it's uh, multi-generational. It, 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 it changes the future and it values the past. And as we look into it, I think you'll see what I'm talking about here. But uh, this is where we're at in the Ten Commandments, as Adam suggested. Um, do you know, has it become clear to you that the commandments they don't refer to themselves as commandments. Where, where that particular phrase comes from is later in Deuteronomy. But when they were originally given to Moses, it was more, it was less commandy and more wisdomy. It was more do uh, or less do and more be. It was more about God expressing who he was and how who he is works its way out through his people. It's, it's God describing how devotion to him is manifest in a person's daily life. That's what the 10 wisdom sayings are. Um, if that doesn't make any sense, let me give you a, a, a metaphor. Like when love of country is manifest in a soldier fighting to his own death. Like when a musician's passion is manifest in them practicing for hours each day to perfect a piece, the 10 wisdom sayings, the 10 commandments, as it were, are what we might reasonably expect to see in those who, created in God's image, are now devoted to him and rest in him. It should look like this wisdom. So here's where we are, and here's where we're headed, just to give you sort of the big picture. The first three commandments describe loosely a relationship with God. The first three describe a relationship with God. The fourth is a call to rest in that relationship. Right? This is the beginning of a flourishing life. It is a relationship with God, and it is a deep and abiding trust and confidence in that relationship and all that comes with it. Then comes number five, honoring of the father and mother, which we'll talk about today, which is a pivot point, really a pivot point into the final five, which are the expression of God into the world, right? So you have this relationship with God, you have rest, you've got this pivot point, and then you've got the reflection of God into the world. Are you with me? These are the 10 commandments. All right, so number five, honor your father and mother. We'll cover, we'll cover the second part of that uh, verse in just a bit. Honor your father and mother. And you can see right away how this fits into the, regret, the progression from your relationship with God to your next closest circle of relationships. Can you see how that's working itself out? God, you, 
family, the world. But it's also a pivot point. Maybe you could put it like this. Those who belong to God are at peace, right? That's number four. They are at peace within a personal, devoted, unimpeded relationship with God. One, three, and two. Should be one, three, and two, yeah. Personal, devoted, unimpeded relationship with God that we reflect, six through ten, in society starting in the home. The wisdom of God in this space is the people of God at rest in a relationship with God that we are reflecting into society that starts in the home. Not only is the honoring of father and mother a progression, it's a prerequisite. The home is the preparation and the proving ground for the mission of God in you to reflect him into the world. Are you with me? Honor your father and mother. It implicates the entire family. Sometimes we think it only implicates children, but it implicates the entire family. And Paul understood this. Whenever Paul took the wisdom of God from the Old Testament, and this in particular, and transferred it and taught the churches how to express it now through the eyes and the work of Christ, he always broadened it out to its actual full effect. He would say things like this to a young startup church in Colossia. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. All of this pleases the Lord. Fathers, you could translate parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The New Testament writers understood that this command applied to the whole family. They also understood that healthy family was critical to the mission of God, that the reflection of God, of the people of God into the world must and will start with the family and it must be healthy there for it to be healthy here. Listen to how Paul puts it to his young startup, Timothy. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, listen to how severe this is, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you say that you are engaged with God, that you are uh, uh, obedient to the first three and four commands, but you do not see that working itself out in the family, you might as well be an unbeliever. Your faith is you deny it. it. It's as though it doesn't exist. It's as though your faith doesn't exist if you can't see it working out in your family. Because now he puts it in how it's put in Titus. Don't, don't get hung up on how first century Palestine families worked. See the importance of the home with respect to the ministry. Listen, it says, then they can, you should urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that, all of that, no one will malign the word of God. What happens in our home 
is of critical importance with regard to our testimony to the world. For God and our faith to be validated, the world is going to look at you and me and our closest relationships and go, if it's not right there, I don't think it's worth it. Paul goes on and, and teaches Timothy that someone who cannot manage their own household is not fit to manage the church of God. This is part of the qualifications for elders and board members and senior leaders in the churches that have existed since the beginning of the church, that one of the qualifications is, is your home healthy? Is faith alive and well in the home? Unless your home is healthy, of which honoring your parents is apparently a pretty big part. It came out in the, the ten wisdom commandments of God. Your outward-facing life will not be as God intends it. Just imagine if the only people who could lead our companies and our government were people whose home lives were in order how different would the world be? God says, this is how it is. The human flourishing life is first reflected in the home and then it becomes vibrantly inclusive of the world. So let's go. Let's look at what it means. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I only want to just answer a couple questions this morning. What is honor? What does it mean to honor someone? What does it look like? Who is being called to honor in this commandment? And what's your part? All right. What is honor? What does it mean to honor someone? Who's being called to honor and what's your part in it? So what is honor? In the Hebrew, the word for honor is uh, kavod, K-A-V-O-D, kavod. And it means weighty, um, heavy. It's the same word is used uh, in the Bible to, uh, uh, for glory. Kavod, same word. Whenever it's honor or glory in the Bible, it is kavod, which means heavy or weighty, deep, profound. It's used most often uh, with reference to God, signifying divinity, awe-inspiring magnificence, right? On a human level, we might call this gravitas. It is weighty, heavy. Honor, glory is a, is a commentary on the richness and the depth of the thing or the person, In Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother, it is the verb tense of the word kavod. It's kaved, K-A-B-E-D. Same root word. You've got the noun, weighty, and you've got the verb. And the verb, in this case, is to give weight, appropriate weight and heaviness back to the thing that is weighty. To dignify to express importance 
and gravity towards someone or something. To honor someone is to give the dignity and the respect and the reverence that they so richly and profoundly deserve. To someone who is kavod, we kabade them. For someone who is weighty, Here's a little hypothetical. When he discovered the sacrifices his parents had made to ensure his well-being and his education, he decided to kabade them, to honor, to give weight by dedicating his first book to them, an act of deep respect, acknowledging the kavod, the glory and the weight of their love and commitment. To honor someone is to kabade them, to give them the deep respect and weight that they deserve. So how does that look when we honor someone, and particularly our parents in this example? Well, it could be very simple in one case. To listen, to serve. The things that you think about in your life that you want to do for God as a result of what he's done for you are the same kinds of things that you might do for God those in authority in your life, particularly in the family. So you would submit and you would treat them well. And you could do those things, but it could lack the depth and the weight that this is calling for. In the richest sense, it would be to recognize and uphold the profound dignity of your parents, which can change the simple things that we do. It can at least change the sentiment to recognize and uphold the profound dignity of your parents. That's what this is calling us to. Now, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's a lot of different family dynamics represented in this room. When we think about the kinds of dignity that is be given to us, we think about the kinds of respect and dignity and profundity that we give to others, and we think about what is deserved even by others in our life, right? It starts to get real complicated real quick. Hang in there. Who's being called to honor? It's a good question here. I think this isn't lost on most of you, but it's worth suggesting and saying. It's welcome news if what's being referred to here, who's being referred to, are the children ages 2 through 18. If that's who this is levied toward, if this is where this is directed, that every parent in the room says, amen, hallelujah, thank you for at least that commandment. We understand not only the need for it in our life from our children, we understand how important it is for them to learn how to respect authority and this call to honor your father and mother certainly would not exclude young children. But imagine with me for a minute. Think this through with me. Let, let me paint a picture for you. You're Moses. You're on top of the mountain. It's crazy atmospheric conditions within which you are to listen and hear from God sayings that will live on in eternity and you're writing these things down. 
You're a real person. Or maybe you're just with Moses or nearby, just painting the picture. Who is God talking to? You're Moses. You here, in some form or fashion, have no other gods before me. Who are you thinking that God is talking to? Me, right? Moses isn't like getting ready to dodge out of the way of these commands. Speaking first to Moses, <laughs> have no other gods before me. This is Moses three or four months into what will end up being a 40-year journey. The wheels are already starting to come off. God invites Moses up into the mountain to help him understand what it looks like to lead these people forward. And he says, don't have any other gods before me. Don't create any idols. Don't worship any idols. Carry my name sincerely and genuinely in your life. Who is he talking to? Moses. Rest. Keep the Sabbath holy. Moses. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. Does he suddenly switch to somebody else? And then come back again when he says, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. No, we have to assume that these are directed first and foremost to Moses and then through Moses to the leaders and the parents of the generation that was leading the exodus from Egypt. They weren't simply carrying this particular command back to their children. They would for sure. But just like all of the commands... God is likely first asking adult children to honor their parents. How old was Moses when this came about? It's hard to tell. It's probably coming up on 50, maybe more years old. We first have to read this command as though it's referring to us. That being true, what's our part? I think I mentioned this before. Obviously, we want to do the simple things to honor our parents, to listen, to respect them, to serve them, to submit to them. When Jesus saw his mother from the cross... Right? Jesus sees his mother from the cross. He is, in the moment he, he is doing all that God has called him to do, there's this culmination, and God is laying down his life for the good and the health and the eternal security of the world, past, present, and future. He's in the middle of his biggest moment, and I don't mean to minimize it by saying that, this huge, monumental, eternal moment. And what does he do? He honors his mother. He looks and he says to his, one of his closest disciples, John, he says, woman, here's your son. John, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. In the midst of his calling, in the midst of his work, right, 
in the midst of your ministry, in the midst of the work that you do, the vocation, whatever it is that you have, as, as he launches his way forward, as you move your family and your work and your life forward, we want to follow Jesus. We always want to follow Jesus, and he reaches back, if you will, and cares for his mom. Adult children are called to honor the father and mother in the midst of all that's going on in life. When I talk to my two boys, whether it's on the phone or it's in person, I want to know how they're doing. We push them out of the nest. They're soon to be 25 and 27, and I love to hear what's going on in their life. But there's something deep within my soul that is stirred when they say, how are you? It's a very simple question with a depth of honor associated with it. Even in the toughest family situations, there are ways to simply and profoundly honor your father and mother. And number two, humbly accept the wisdom of previous generations. So I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me, right? Back to this context, right? So after hundreds of years in exile, Slavery, oppression under Egyptian rule through 10 or a dozen generations from Joseph who saved Egypt to eventually Moses where they are completely enslaved and oppressed for hundreds of years by Egypt. We have really no record of people of God breaking their way out or brokering their way out of this situation. They may have. We just don't have record. They certainly weren't void of their practices of faith. There is evidence of that, that the church, certainly underground in a sense, but even in some public spaces, Egypt was a sprawling um, reign region. There was a Faith practice, there was a remnant. The people of God were still, as best they could, worshiping God. But they somehow remained slaves, oppressed. And then one day, again, hundreds of years in, God calls Moses into his presence and then sends him out to lead the Exodus out of Egypt. Which he does. A new movement of God by the young generation, the next generation. This has happened hundreds, if not thousands of times in various ways throughout history. The next generation, when it's healthy, when it's supported, develops a holy malcontent for the way it is and then hears from God and goes for it. Some courageous, usually younger soul hears from God and steps up to lead the people of God into new frontiers. New and wonderful movements can occur and last for generations. This is what happened. Maybe Moses is the model. 
The dark side of holy malcontent and forward-driving faith of the next generation is that they often are too young or inexperienced or immature to see the ongoing value of the former generation. Can I get an amen? Have you been there? In church, in family, in business? The next generation, it's just so valuable to the future of really anything, can easily tend toward being judgmental of the past. Your music is boring, your routines are stale, your leaders are out of touch, your theology is constraining. You know, some of you know, Pastor Paul and his wife Kelly, Paul was one of our first elders, lead elder for many years. Uh, we sat at lunch about three or four years into Vista, and we looked at each other and said, yes, if we really, really love our church 10 or 15 years from now, we've probably done something wrong. At some point, the older generation needs to be a part of the new generation going forward, and it's not all that enjoyable at times. The older people in the church need to let the young people go and do and find God and make mistakes just like we did. On the flip side of that, the young generation can honor the last generation by humbly accepting the wisdom that they have to offer. Hindsight is 2020. Moses probably did some Monday morning quarterback about those people who didn't do anything, it seems, for hundreds of years. Don't we all? Don't we all? Can't we look at our youthful past and remember our arrogance? I came home from college after my freshman year, and since at that point I knew everything, I told my dad some of the things he wasn't getting quite right. I have the most amazing dad in the world. He didn't deserve that comment at all. And I don't know that I've ever seen my father more, he wasn't angry, but he was very urgent, very intense with his response. And I still remember. He said, hey, Once you have been curled up in the fetal position next to your bed, wondering how it is you're going to provide for your family, will you come and tell me how to do my life better? (laughs) You know? Point taken. I'm going to head back to college, learn a few more things. Tim Keller taught me about this. Whom you most know, most of you know, the kingdom lost this week, Thursday. Trailblazing pastor himself who realized how suburban expansion through the later decades of the 20th century and how the church had went, went with it was leaving our cities behind where new futures and cultures and societies find their new, new life. He founded and pastored one of the most successful churches of our time in one of the toughest environments to do it, New York City. And as a result of his success in that city, his voice echoed globally for at least the last 20 years. The New York Times put an article out 
yesterday or today on Tim Keller. Started like this. The Reverend Tim Keller, a best-selling author and theorist of Christianity who performed a modern miracle of his own, establishing a theologically orthodox church in Manhattan that attracted thousands of young professional followers. He died on Friday at his home in Manhattan. Friday, Friday, I thought it was Thursday. He was 72. Mr. Keller, whose only previous experience in the pulpit had been at a blue-collar congregation in rural Virginia parish, in a rural Virginia parish, moved with his wife and three sons to New York in 1989 and with neither fire nor brimstone embarked on what New York Magazine hyperbolized as close to a theological suicide mission to create a conservative Christian church in the heart of Sodom. (laughs) That's how the New Yorker put it back in 1989. The day before he passed, out of Tim's own Twitter feed, his son Michael spoke. Husband, father, grandfather, mentor, friend, pastor, and scholar died this morning and said this, I think yesterday, you know, the day before, he said, I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. On Friday, I suppose, this feed came through. Dad waited until he was alone with mom. She kissed him on the forehead and he breathed his last breath. We take comfort in some of his last words. Quote, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. See you soon, dad. He changed my life. He wrote books that either you've read or you've been taught through the pulpit. An amazing man. A huge loss for the church. Here's what he taught me probably 20 years ago about old wineskins and new wineskins because there's a verse that uh, Jesus tells in parable form. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And here's what Tim taught, because he was aware of this. Like, he was starting a new thing, and by all rights, could have been, and probably was malcontent with the church, could have been judgmental of it, but instead he taught this. No, We don't look back at the old wineskins and say to them, you're useless. We recognize that it's difficult to put new wine in old wineskins because the wine is lost and the old wineskins are ruined. But the old wineskins hold old wine, which is very good. We keep the old wine in the old wineskins and we bring it forward and we learn from it, and we are refreshed by it, and we are stirred by it. That's what Keller taught me, among many things. It coincidentally, maybe not coincidentally, Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine, is admittedly ill-timed. His mom was saying, hey, we need some help with the supply over here. And Jesus is like, what are you doing, Mom? This is not the time. And then he did it. He did it. 
honored the wisdom of his mom. It's honoring. It's honoring to your father and your mother and those that come before us to temper your criticism and trust that the former generation isn't as dumb or irrelevant as your youth might lead you to think. Always, when you're 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, given the opportunity at any age to honor your parents by seeking their insight and advice about anything and everything is not only good for you, it is deeply honoring to them. Next, <clears throat> it might take me a bit to flesh this out for you. Accept the transfer of responsibility for the relationship with the previous generation. And here's what I mean. This comes from, maybe this is coming out of some personal experience, right, with our boys. And, and you're aware of this. Anybody that's raised a family, um, you love them with you and near you and you cherish the times when they're young and together and then in anticipation of the day when they graduate. And every time they graduate, it's that mixed bag of, wow, they've arrived where I'd hoped they arrived and they're becoming less connected to me. To one day when they move off on their own and in many cases start their own families. Tammy and I have always seen our, our, one of our primary jobs is for our children to launch. Tammy would say, our boys are not going to fail to launch. And I was like, well, can we delay the launch? You know, I want them to launch too, but like, would 35 be okay? We want them close, but we know we want them to launch. And they do eventually and we still make family plans and we still invite the family to be a part of what we're planning and doing. But it is extremely honoring, just like when the boys say, how are you? It's extremely honoring when the next generation takes the responsibility for maintaining the, res the relationship. Our job is to continue to press and to breathe and to encourage and to encourage risk-taking and faith and start the new thing, start your family, keep the thing going. It's very honoring while we're doing that. And if you're doing that, that that next generation is taking the responsibility to keep you close, appropriately so. If anybody had the capabilities and competencies to argue for their independence, it would be Jesus, right? Was he capable on his own? Absolutely. And the father clearly trusted him. At his baptism, he said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, he said, this is my son. Listen to him. God the father is doing what earthly fathers do to earthly sons and daughters. I am well pleased. Go, be, do. But even over the next and final weeks of Jesus' life following that transfiguration, you see him continually tilting back and connecting with the Father, taking the initiative 
to be with him. He went off to be with him. He pursued God. In his most vulnerable moments, you think about the Garden of Gethsemane where he's weeping and bleeding about this thing that is going to happen. And he says to God, Daddy. He says, Daddy. On the cross, he says, my God, my God. In John 17, when he's praying, he's, he is beseeching the Father uh, to come alongside and be with him as, as the disciples go forward. And just before he dies, he speaks to his Father again. No matter how old you are, no matter how old you are, it is very honoring when you pursue the relationship with your mother and father and allow them to continue to press you with their wisdom into the things that God's called you. A couple more things. We need to wrap it up here. I'll be brief. This next thing does, deserves to not be brief, but it was going to be anyway. What about dishonorable parents? I've made, I mentioned this earlier, right? What if you have dishonorable parents? I can't deal with that all today, but I will, I will validate and acknowledge to you that in some cases, the best way to honor somebody and even parents is to be a part of facilitating appropriate accountability, correction, rehabilitation. It doesn't always look like puppy dogs and roses and things like that. There is a way, um, and there is a requirement and a need and a necessity and Relationships, I know you all are aware of, whether in your own or close to you, um, that honoring looks a lot different than in the middle of the bell curve. And I just want to validate that. But I will say this. We trust God more and live in profound ways when we find ways to obey even in the most illogical circumstances. You demonstrate your faith and your trust in God when you do behave according to God's wisdom in cases where you would seem unlikely that it should be expected that when we do, our faith is deepened and amazing things can happen. There are limits, I want to be on record to say, but there are often ways to live in eternally wonderful ways when we turn the other cheek, when we love our enemies. Honoring the dishonorable is the epitome of Christianity. Find a way, even in the toughest situations. This question should hit you between the eyes. <clears throat> we look and sometimes see the dishonorable parents that either we have or that others have, but here's the question. Are we even worthy of honor? Are you? <laughs> You know, it's like, holy moly. You know, Moses was a reluctant leader for good reason. He was a murderer. I can't quite relate to that, but I can relate to reluctant leadership. I can relate to being burdened by your own failures, your own shortcomings, your own inadequacies. In fact, his leadership failures, his faith failures would keep him from enjoying the promised land. The next generation would go in without him. Some of this command of honoring father and mother requires something new from us, and that is to humble ourselves and to repent 
to our own children. You can be honorable through a commitment to the transformation of your own heart, to continue to grow in your faith, to continue to repent, to continue to forgive, to be forgiven. Truth be told, we probably aren't worthy of honor. Not the richest kind. We, we think, okay, you can, you know, treat me well and I can demand those sorts of things. But when we're, what we're looking for is something so much deeper, most of us look in the mirror and go, I'm not sure I deserve that. And it's probably fair just to say, yeah, that's true. But what does make you, quote, deserve it is how you embrace your faith, how you embrace grace and mercy and failure and the way you admit it and deal with it. We have acknowledged, Tammy and I started a counseling uh, fund early on in our marriage for our boys because we're like, man, we are screwing this up. They're going to need some counseling. <laughs> Let's just start saving right now. We had some lackluster parenting moments. And over time, we have specifically asked for their forgiveness. On the flip side of that, to your parents who probably don't feel like they deserve honor. You can live in a space of grace for their human frailty, their failures, their humanity, and relieve them of the less honorable aspects of their life, remembering that they're human. And finally, I would say this. Let your children honor you by being proactively involved in their ability to get better from your parenting. <laughs> to come alongside them in the acknowledgement of what weeds we have sown into their garden and allow them to pull them freely and help pull them out with them. Be a part of that engagement. Be a part of what Moses and those leaders were doing as they progressed over the decades through the desert, getting Egypt out of their system. We all in our lives have taken on freight and taken on gods and embraced things and pursued things that we uh, could otherwise have left behind and maybe in some cases should. And those pursuits and those commitments and those addictions and those sorts of things have an ill effect on the next generation. One of the ways that you can honor in your family is to be understanding of that and provide a space to help our children stop the generational sins that are apt to come in every generation. I'll finish with this. So what do you do if health and honor are lacking in the home? Well, I've just given you a bunch of ways that you can kind of do that, but here's the big one. And it isn't just focus harder on number five. It's not gonna hurt you to do that. You might as well. But maybe I've already alluded to this. The answer is to go back to commands one through four. 
Remember, it's a pivot point. It's a progression. If things aren't going well in the home, they're not going to go well in terms of mission outwardly. And you don't just back up to five. Just keep focusing on this. Buy a self-help book on how to help your family. No, you back up clear to one, and you find out if there are any other gods in your life that you're allowing to take precedence. You discover if you've allowed something to impede your relationship with God. You've lost sight of the fact that Jesus has died and, and been raised again to save you, to cleanse you, to give you eternal security, and that you can carry that name in a different way. And maybe you need to rest again that God's got it. He's going to, as Tammy was saying earlier, turn bad things into good things, turn ashes into beauty, to reverse uh, what has been happening, but we go back and we start there. If you've embraced the first four, it will be revealed in the home within your first circle of relationships. And a healthy home is an outworking of the first four, a necessity for what we are called to do in the world. So let me encourage you today, no matter how old you are, find a way to honor those that came before you and be honorable for those who are coming next and be a part of them living an honoring life back toward you. God, we thank you, as always, for your word. Would you speak it now deeply through our brain and into our heart? Open our eyes today as we walk about and see how it is we can be more honoring of our parents and those who came before us. Help us, God. Help us to have healthy homes so that we can do your work in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Adam.